Hi, I'm Linda McGlasson with BankInfoSecurity.com, and today we're speaking with Doug Johnson, Senior Policy Analyst at the American Bankers Association in Washington, D.C. Doug serves as Senior Policy Analyst for the ABA, where his public policy responsibilities include payment system technology and the relationship between technology, privacy, and security. Doug also advises the ABA and its members on a variety of other matters, including social security reform, real estate brokerage, mortgage finance, and public funds. He was responsible for the ABA's recent release of a series of tools to assess information technology risk and safeguard customer information in financial institutions. He is on the advisory board of the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center and serves on the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council, which advises the federal bank regulatory agencies on homeland security and critical infrastructure protection issues. Prior to joining the American Bankers Association, Doug spent 10 years as Assistant Director of the Florida Division of Banking, where he oversaw the supervision and regulation of Florida's domestic and international banking industry. During that time, Doug served as an advisor to the U.S. Congressional Office of Technology Assessment, assisting in their study of the use of information technologies for the control of money laundering. He also spent time in Miami as a planning analyst for Royal Trust Bank Group and as a bank consultant for First Research Corporation. He has a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Florida and a master's in finance from the Florida State University. The ABA was founded in 1875 and represents banks of all sizes on issues of national importance for financial institutions and their customers. The ABA, on behalf of the more than two million people who work in the nation's banks, brings together all categories of banking institutions to best represent the interests of this rapidly changing industry. And Doug, we're going to go right into the questions. Um, first, hello. Well, good morning. All right. Um, Doug, as the senior policy analyst of the largest banking association in the nation, what's your take on how well the industry is responding to the regulatory changes we've seen in the past eight years in regards to information security? And is there more that we could be doing as, a, as an industry? Well, Linda, first of all, I, I think as, as bankers, uh, we're, we're accustomed to regulatory change. Uh, we have to deal with it in, in everything that, that we do terms of bank operations and information security is really no different and and let's face it as an industry we have to take it seriously because if we don't take it seriously we're really not fulfilling our fiduciary responsibilities because you know safeguarding customer information is really part and parcel of of our obligation to uh, to not only affect payments and transactions for our customers but also keep the information they've entrusted with us secure so you know having said that you know the last 8 years have been been you know, pretty challenging. Let's let's face it. Uh, you know, we've tried to adapt, and I think have adapted pretty well to to those changing regulatory environments. Uh, you know, part of it was was frankly what congressional uh, folks viewed as as a trade off that we needed to uh, to really accomplish between increased responsibilities or authorities that we got under Graham Leach Briley, and, and because of those increased authorities, the the ability that we had to, to really have greater levels of customer 
the information across uh, securities, insurance, and banking products that, that we were were providing um, our customers. And, and so the, the privacy and the information security requirements that came out of Graham Leach Bliley, I think, were really the, the start of the eight years that you really alluded to. And, and so ensuring that customers are aware of how we're using information and, and aware of how we're securing that information was, was first and, and foremost. But obviously after Graham Leach Bliley, we've seen a series of regulatory guidance which has come out um, lastly emanating in our uh, necessity for, for stronger levels of authentication, um, which which all bankers are, are, are very well uh, in the throes of, if not completely um, compliant with it at this standpoint. Uh, um, I think that, that what we've seen is, is an increased dialogue, uh, if you will, between ourselves and the regulatory community, particularly as it relates to stronger authentication. Um, you know, what we've seen is, is uh, the uh, ability or the capacity, really, of, of our regulatory agencies to, to listen to the concerns of the banking community as they put out new guidance um, and, and address those concerns so that the, the guidance which we, we put in place does not get unnecessarily prescriptive and, and, and tie uh, bankers' hands, particularly as it relates to evolving technology. Um, that's the one thing that, that we're particularly mindful of as we go through these uh, changes is, is that, you know, guidance should be, and generally has been, dealing with, with the risk profile as opposed to dealing with technological fixes because those technological fixes are going to change over time. And I think with the uh, stronger authentication that that's particularly what we've seen is uh, that the agencies have have really backed away from saying this is the type of technology you should use and, and gone back to the, the, the standard of banks need to be sure that they are properly apprising what their risk profile looks like and, and addressing that risk profile through putting in stronger measures of, of security where that security is necessary. And so I think that's how we've really uh, adapted and, and responded over time and how the agencies have responded as well. Well, as a follow-up question here, um, the ABA represents its members as well as the rest of the industry on a number of levels uh, with those same government regulatory agencies we were just hearing about. And have you seen the um, correlation between the increased data breaches since, uh, I think, early 2005 uh, and the... Uh, buzz that we're hearing about uh, what's coming down in terms of a national data protection disclosure law, and what can we expect to see uh, in the law? What have you been hearing uh, when it does get passed in Congress? Well, sure, Linda. Obviously, um, 2005 uh, and the, uh, the breaches which we've seen in, in 2006 and into 2007 as well impact the, the landscape of, of what uh, security breach laws ultimately will be look will look like, and and we fully anticipate this the you know security breach laws will be entertained by Congress uh, again this this year during the legislative session. Uh, first and foremost, I think it's become abundantly clear that a national solution to this problem is important. I was particularly uh, struck when I was uh, speaking to a, a, a group of bankers 
and others in in my home state, which is which is Florida, uh, about this issue, and and it was in an FDIC event, and and what was what really was clear is that that's the, the best state to use as an example, because if you're a banker in the state of Florida, um, you've got customers that are essentially uh, choosing their home state from states throughout the nation, and so. Say you're a banker in Florida and you have a, a breach necessarily, let's say it's through no fault of, of your own, let's say it happened at a third party, but you have customer notification requirements, um, you've got to look at, at every single state that your customer is claimed as a primary resident to come to some conclusions of, of what the security breach notification law is in that state. and and. That's going to get worse. That's not going to get better as as we see additional states, and we've got over 30 states now that have, have put these kinds of laws in, in place. So a national solution is, is absolutely key, uh, but also a solution that rises retail operations and other third parties to the level of security that bankers already practice. There's, there's a lot of, of work that's being done in this area uh, outside of the, the legislative arena, but I... I Clearly, and, and ABA clearly thinks that you know having a, a platform of law which deals with breaches uh, across uh, all commercial and other operations, uh, government as well, obviously, is what's absolutely key, so that that we can address these issues in a consistent manner, which will actually benefit the consumer because it will cause less consumer confusion um, if the rather than if the consumer has, you know, different uh, requirements based upon different states. Um, I think that one of the things that we'll see is the administration's uh, identity theft task force recommendations, which we anticipate uh, potentially coming out in February, will will, uh, somewhat set the stage for, for what law ultimately will look like. Also, obviously, the, the various laws which were entertained last year set the stage as well and and you know part and parcel of that national solution is is also you know a, a preemption of of state provisions so that you you do have that national solution so so that is is going to be a, a key provision with, within the law um, and and that national solution should should really um, take its basis from the the safeguarding customer information the customer response program uh, provisions actually that that are uh, that have come out of the, the federal bank regulatory agencies. There's there's been a recognition that um, financial services has really taken the lead in in terms of uh, those provisions and adherence to those provisions. And and what those those provisions do is is really give the 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 bank the opportunity to make determinations as to what the level of harm to the potential customer is uh, going to be as a as a result of, of any any breach which has occurred and and we feel that's very important because one of the things which we uh, do not want to have happen is for customers to get anesthetized i think frankly the customers are already anesthetized uh, Regarding the uh, the privacy notifications that they get on an annual basis, I I don't know how carefully you read yours. I know how carefully I read mine, um, and, and I I really fear and 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 we become concerned that as a trade association that, that the one thing we don't want our customers to to uh, 
to, to feel is that, oh, this is just another security breach notice. You know, nothing has ever happened to me in the past when I've got these things, so therefore I don't have to pay attention to this one. You know, there's going to be no way unless, unless we manage to, to, to create an environment where, you know, when a customer gets one of those, they know that it's an important document. Um, you know, that's a, a very important environment to, to put in place. And so we're, we're very, um, you know, cognizant of the fact that, that that needs to happen in any legislative proposal. Um, lastly, I would, I would say that, that we need to, to have a, a clear uh, regulatory environment as well, and that's to make sure that we we have you know the federal regulatory agencies that we're already accustomed to working with on this uh, the the agency that, that we're responsible to reporting to, um, and is responsible for taking action um, to the extent that we don't fulfill our responsibilities as bankers. Okay. Um, going back on when we were talking about the. Uh, national versus state laws in terms of uh, the data protection and disclosure. Is there one uh, state in particular that did an especially good job in uh, drafting their bill that you would recommend that the federal bill kind of emulate? I would really recommend that the federal bill emulate the uh, federal regulatory guidance in this manner because the that federal guidance really uh, recommends some of the stuff which which I just stated. It it, it sets up a, a process whereby an institution does have an immediate obligation to uh, it, to inform it, his regulator and, and that a breach has occurred. And then what that creates, I think, is a is a, a really good dynamic, a really good partnership between the institution and the bank. Uh, because the bank has informed the the regulator, the regulator has knowledge as to to the breach, and also has knowledge of other breaches that has occurred in other institutions, and and can help the the, the bank think through the process of whether or not customer notification is uh, is necessary. I think, frankly, that that some of the 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 those that that oppose this the process of, of banks being able to, to make determinations of whether their customers are at risk really are not appreciative of the fact that that this this determination is not made in a vacuum. Essentially, these institutions are, are making that determination in concert with their regulatory agencies. They've informed their regulatory agencies, and they have a, a, a very serious obligation with those agencies if they determine not to to uh, to inform customers of a breach. If not, why not? And I think that's, that's a good dynamic to, to really put in place. So, so, Linda, I would really say let's, let's look to the federal guidance. Let's not, let's not look to the individual state laws because the individual state laws that I think are, are, are best are the ones, and there's, there's about 12 of them um, at least, that, that have said if a, if a bank or if, if an entity has a federal regulatory overlay that requires um, the notification of breaches, um, that should really supersede the state law. So I think that, that's important. Federal before state, then. Exactly. Um, okay. Uh, well, moving on um, to another area of our questions. Um, in your estimation, Doug, how far have the information security and fin financial services industry come in the, quote, total security 
package, and how far do you think that we, how much farther do you think we have to go? Well, let me ask you the question of, of how different people have defined total security in different ways. Um, how are you really looking at, at that issue? How would you define that? That would, that would if I were a bank, yeah. I would be thinking that my data is secure, my customers are happy, and um, everything is working. And my regulators are happy as well. And so everybody's happy. That's a good thing. Um, we, we like that as well. Um, I think that the, really what we're, we're talking about here is, is a process as opposed to a destination. Uh, because when you're talking about something like total security, I think you're talking about something like eternal vigilance. Um, you know, I think that, that institutions are, are continually um, uh, aware of the fact that new threats are presenting themselves and, and have set processes and procedures in place to, to, to make sure that they're aware of those risks and, of course, bought new technology to the extent that that's, that's part of the, the solution associated with it. Um, I think we can always do better. Um, I think that there, because this is a process and, and not a destination, I think that, that we always have to, to have to keep our eye on the ball and, and make sure that we are working closely in concert with our partners in the information security uh, industry to ensure that the solutions which are being put in place are, are those that, that, that really deal with the risks that we're seeing specifically within our institutions. And because of that, I think that, that you know, the collaborative efforts that we have underway with organizations like the Financial Services Technology Consortium and organizations like that, um, that, that we are, are very much involved in, um, lead us toward that, um, that, that process of, of, of really making sure that we are making our customers as happy as we can. Um, and our regulators as happy as, as, as they can be, um, which makes us happy. Um, because really, at the end of the day, it's all about making sure that the consumer understands or, or feels that their information is, is secure. Um, and so much of that in this world, I don't have to tell you, mean, is really revolving around whether or not we, we are, are making that data secure, not only in our own institutions, but in third parties that we have contractual relationships with and with parties that we don't have any particular um, you know, contractual relationship with but have to do business with or that have customer information because they conduct retail transactions and the like. So I think it, it, there needs to be a, a real recognition um, by not only information security companies and financial services industry companies, but retail concerns and um, couriers and the like that we are all in this together, and that if we are not all in this together from the standpoint of trying to create an environment where our customer feels secure, all of our business cases are in jeopardy. And so I think that's that's really the, the ball that we need to keep our eye on, is recognizing that in large part these are not competitive issues. Um, they generally are not competitive issues. They're issues that we need to work on in a collaborative fashion. All right. Um, going on to a, a pretty serious question. Uh, the events of 9-11 and some of the other events that followed afterward showed us that our industry was dependent upon other critical infrastructures. Um, what is the ABA doing to help focus attention on the, quote, big picture 
for business continuity within our industry, and how will this help the regular financial institutions out there plan for the next Katrina or other events such as the predicted avian flu pandemic? Linda, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of what we do uh, as part of that, that process is, it, and this is where the trade association, I, I think, really uh, works works best and is most effective from the standpoint of, of my biases and, and my position, is, is taking information which, which we um, learn from some institutions and, and, and make sure that the entire environment of financial institutions benefits from that information. Um, and can help protect themselves. And one of the mechanisms that we do uh, it become involved in, which does this, is called the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council. And we're extremely active in that council. And, and to spend one minute defining it, uh, the council is, is really the organization of trade associations, exchanges, uh, payments utilities, uh, and other companies in financial services across insurance, securities, and banking that is is really organized only for the purpose of, of helping our critical infrastructure protect itself uh, from major events. And, for instance, specifically, um, the FSSCC, as we called it, has, has put out a set of guidance that uh, is designed to help financial institutions think through how to revise their business continuity plans to envision a potential pandemic. Um, now, that document was, was put in place or devised through consultation with, with institutions which were going through that process um, so that we could take that information that some institutions were, were, were already devising and, and make it universally available to the industry overall as, as they conduct their pandemic planning. Um, and that really does help us focus on the, the big picture. It helps us look for, for what the next event is going to be um, and, and how we can uh, protect ourselves from that event. And as you suggested, so much of that really revolves around the interdependency that we have with other critical infrastructures, uh, be that energy, be that telecom, or, or other um, parts of, of the infrastructure, heck, even water. Um, and these coordinating councils exist in telecommunications, they exist in energy, they exist in transportation, and, and really um, we have an active process of, of communicating across individual companies and across these coordinating councils to work on our interdependencies. And I think uh, going back to the pandemic, a really good example of that would be the, the process which we're currently going through with the telecommunications industry to really try to determine whether our work-at-home assumptions associated with telecommunication during a pandemic are valid or not. And a specific example of that would be uh, an exercise which we're, we're currently involved in with the telecom companies, the count, their council, and the National Communication System and Homeland Security and Treasury to, to really look at New York and Boston first and, and try to figure out where our bottlenecks are going to be um, in in, in those cities, Chicago, actually, as opposed to Boston, um, and, and then from those lessons learn, you know, how we can, um, you know, revise our assumptions based upon 
what we can, uh, what we see there, um, understand what kind of actions we need to take in terms of, of frankly, potentially shutting down certain um, services um, that might be available on the internet during a pandemic. Uh, gaming sites would be one example. I'm not saying that that's what we're going to do, but it's something that we need to discuss in terms of uh, whether or not we need to, to look at, at, at restricting certain traffic. Um, I think that, that lastly, um, that whole process of, of recognizing that, that these are not competitive issues, again, and that we need to work in a, uh, on a collaborative basis uh, really uh, help us. I think Katrina, from financial services um, standpoint, was a good example of, of success. I was, I was astounded um, at, at our ability to, uh, to recover as a financial services industry from Katrina. That doesn't mean that, that particularly New Orleans is not having some continual difficulties associated with Katrina, but one of the things that really knocked my socks off was the, the fact that um, five days after Katrina, there were only about uh, 20 uh, financial institutions uh, among the over 200 that were affected that weren't completing their ACH work on a daily basis. And about a, uh, a week after Katrina, there were only five, and within a couple of days after that, there were only two. Now, when you think about the, the breadth of that event, uh, the fact that we had so many institutions able to, to conduct their, their electronic payments and their ACH work um, so quickly after Katrina, I think, speaks very well for the industry. Um, and it also speaks well for electronic payments, which goes back to some of the information security issues that we've been talking about. Um, if, if we do not, if we're going to depend upon these electronic payments going forward, and if we, and we do see that, that they provide a lot of added value to our customers when we have these major events, because I would suggest an evacuee that's in Houston was, was much more, uh, better served by his financial institution, if he didn't have to go chasing checks around, if he could, if he could conduct his, his banking on an internet basis, if he could uh, have direct deposit into his accounts, um, all those things need to work during those events. And that's what these coordinating councils are all about, is, is making sure on a cross-sectoral basis that they do. Okay. Um, I, I like to always throw a little uh, curveball in here. Uh, if you were to name one thing that keeps you up at night in regards to the future of uh, our industry, what would it be? I think it's it's that you don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, you always the known knowns. You know, we do a, a very good job of of protecting ourselves against. But you know, the the next best thing that the the folks are coming up with. That, that choose to do us harm um, is is the thing that, that that keeps me up at night. And and are we really um, getting the the intelligence um, on a business continuity basis, on an information security basis, that we need in order to to have a better understanding of, of really what we don't know? Um, that's the thing that that keeps me up at night, Linda, more than than anything else at this point. It's the it's the fear of the unknown. Um, what do you see for uh, 2007, 2008 in terms of uh, new regulations or guidance coming out of uh, our federal agencies? I, I think there are two areas that, that uh, 
and, and we haven't um, gotten a formal indication that, that we're going to see guidance in these areas, um, but we know that there's active discussions about them. Um, one is is uh, mobile payments or, or just uh, mobile uh, in general. Uh, mobile technologies are getting a lot of attention uh, by our bankers. Um, you know, the, the use of RFID, the use of wireless uh, technology in our banks, that kind of stuff is is, is gaining a lot of attention. They're they're uh, they're defining it. Are they meaning our bankers very broadly? Um, as I just described, mobile is anything wireless, essentially, um, to them, whether or not they're using it internally or their customers are using it externally, and and whether or not there's there's the proper level of, of security associated with that. And and now that we we um, see it being deployed to a, a greater extent, I would not be surprised if the agencies uh, seek to revise their existing guidance as it relates to mobile technologies. Uh, we met with the agencies uh, two weeks ago to, uh, at their request, to discuss emerging technologies and the kinds of things that, that, that we saw down the horizon, and, and mobile was a, a large part of the, the conversation. Uh, another piece is encryption, and I, I, I do think that, that there is a lot of discussion about um, what encryption can do and what encryption can't do. Um, one of the things which which I uh, I, I found uh, not surprising, uh, based upon the security breaches that have occurred, is last year around September when the the agencies uh, put out their newly revised uh, information security handbook. Um, in previous versions of the handbook, there was a requirement to encrypt data that was in transit, um, but in transit. Was, mean, was really meant to mean if it was being transmitted electronically. Um, they've changed that to, uh, to, to really include um, data tapes and other things as well that are in transit. Um, so there, there is now an expectation on an examination basis that if, if you are uh, transmitting information um, uh, by tra or tra or transporting, uh, I should say, by... Uh, Career or otherwise, that that data on tape is is encrypted as as well, um, and, and what that is doing is that's causing a lot of institutions um, to to really look at well, if I'm going to have to encrypt it um, on tape, why don't I just uh, find a way to to more effectively um, transmit the data electronically in an encrypted fashion, um, even though it. Uh, you know, it, it might be a lot of data um, because the cost of of putting in the encryption in place um, and transmitting large amounts of data electronically now becomes less prohibitive uh, because of the fact that we, we um, are able to cut out some of our risk associated with third-party couriers. Now, if, if you've got that kind of environment which is being put in place, I think what you run into is, is really um, a, a desire on part of the agencies to uh, to really look at encryption more closely. Um, now, as I said, there's encryption and there's encryption, but but just like in the uh, this process of, of devising stronger authentication guidance, the one thing that we would not want the agencies to do is to, to get too immersed in, uh, you know, the techno-speak and, the tech and prescribing um, technological solutions in the encryption space. Because obviously the market's going to push that a lot. Because as institutions 
become more um, uh, you know, concerned about various encryption products, you know, the market is going to become um, more refined for for those products, and I think that's what's going to push um, some some success in, in making those products even more secure than they are today. And of course, we always have to worry twenty years from now who has the keys to Absolutely. encrypt our our files. Um, well, going back, well, we were talking before about online banking. Um, in terms, of, in your estimation, in terms of customers' trust in the financial services industry, especially in regards to online banking, are we facing a crisis with the influx of crimeware and phishing? And obviously, I, I refer back to the latest incident, which didn't happen here in the U.S., but over at a large bank in Sweden where uh, fishers took I think an estimated $1.1 million uh, from customer accounts through uh, phishing. Linda, I, I think that, that I would not term it a crisis, um, first of all, to, to directly answer your question, um, because particularly in, in the, the U.S., when those kinds of things occur, there's, there's always a desire to, to make the customer whole. Um, even if they're on a retail basis, was was frankly some negligence on the on the part of the customer. Of course, in the commercial space, that that's a little bit different um, in some instances. But um, I think one of the reasons why we do that, obviously, is the fact that we don't want to create a crisis of confidence where people do not trust the channel. I mean, people um, end up not trusting the internet banking channel um, and electronic transactions. Well, well then. You know, we're two steps back as opposed to even you know one step forward, because you know the whole effort here is to try to uh, to, to lessen costs and, and expedite transactions by by accomplishing those uh, on electronic basis. Um, but having said that, there's there's no question that um, you know particularly you allude to crimeware, where it used to be called spyware called spam um, these guys that are, are creating that stuff um, are, are now doing it for profit and now has has been over the course of the last two years essentially a, an escalation of it I think one of the most interesting things that, that, that I heard is that uh, you now see um, you know the the crime war traffic uh, be at its highest levels from nine to five you know these guys are, are using this as a day job and that's just a fascinating little, you know, statistic um, to me. Um, it, it, uh, they're, they're punching in and punching out practically uh, from the standpoint of, uh, of, you know, this is their job. Uh, and it, it is not an unprofitable job uh, because if it wasn't profitable, they wouldn't be doing it. Um, but it's impacting us as financial institutions. Um, this is not to say that there isn't customer inconvenience, but, you know, it's, it's impacting us as financial institutions from the standpoint of, of profitability. Um, and so, you know, to the extent that, that we can can sit there and, and again, you know, using the collaboration uh, model, um, you know, there's any number of efforts that are out there that uh, attempt to, uh, to, to not get one step ahead of them um, as much as we would like to. That's a difficult thing to do. 
but to make sure we have as many known knowns as possible. Um, the Anti-Fishing Working Group is a really great example of that. Um, there's any number of other groups, including FSTC, like I've indicated before, that, that we collaborate with um, to, to help institutions um, help themselves and help them their customers. I've actually been very um, Im impressed with the uh, ability of the consumer to, uh, to to not lose confidence in the channel. Obviously, there's there has been you know some chinks in that armor um, to, to some degree. Some of the surveys show, but other surveys show that, that the customer is continuing to gravitate toward electronic transactions. And you know, to, to put a, a closing point, um, one of the ways that that, that uh, I look at this is is the, the last thing a customer wants to do is to go back to paper. Um, because paper is where the identity theft really does tend to occur. And uh, I, I recommend that, that customers uh, look at and bankers stress to customers that, that the Internet and, and these, these channels are their friend because they don't have to patiently wait for their statement every month. You know, they're going to get their, they can look at their, their transactional history at any point in time, whenever they choose to. Um, and so, and they can, can put in, um, you know, certain alerts and the like, uh, you know, into that process. And so I think that, that, you know, to the extent that a customer gets that, and I think a lot of customers do get that, um, you know, we're, we're still going to, uh, to see, you know, success in the channel. But that doesn't mean that, that we need to, uh, uh, that we don't need to be, you know, again, eternally vigilant here to, to try to ensure that this doesn't become a crisis of confidence and, and that customers don't all of a sudden, you know, lose uh, confidence in the channel. Doug, um, in closing, do you have any uh, last words that you'd like to uh, offer uh, in terms of advice to the financial institutions out there that are struggling with all these issues that we've just discussed? Well, you know, I recognize, Linda, to, to a large degree that, that uh, based upon the nature of your audience, that I'm singing to the choir <laughs> in large part because, you know, the folks that have gotten, if they've listened this long, um, I'm particularly singing to the choir. But um, from from the standpoint of, of recognizing that, that they are uh, in this together, and I think, frankly, that, that your your initiative with uh, bankinfosecurity.com and the like, these kinds of things are designed to be collaborative in nature. And I hate to keep using that word, but I think it's really important for, for individual practitioners in this space of information security to share and compare and, and really understand what each is, is doing because um, without that, you know, they're operating in a vacuum and, and that vacuum is, is not going to, to increase their knowledge base. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, you guys in the choir get that as well. You know, it's, it's, it's really the, the process of, of us all working together to ensure that our customers have the greatest faith and confidence possible in accomplishing these transactions um, at our financial institutions, no matter which channel they try to or, or attempt to use, and, and also to ensure that our third parties are, are being as, as diligent and as vigilant as we are as financial institutions in protecting that data. Um, and, and lastly, my, I think my last piece of advice would be, um, you know, when a customer comes to you and, and they've got uh, a problem and the problem may, may not be necessarily 
related to a, a transactional account at your institution. Sometimes they've just come to you because um, you're their, their primary financial institution. It's up to us to own the problem. You know, they've come to us for a solution, and, and we should, should be prepared and trained um, all the way through our financial institution to understand that we need to own that problem. Um, and, and help that customer, um, regardless of whether or not it's it's a, a, an account at, at their primary financial institution that has been impacted. Doug, I would like to uh, close and thank you again for spending this time with us on BankInfoSecurity.com's podcast series. Um, and we will look for more projects coming out of the ABA in 2007 and we will look for all the good information coming from ABA. Thanks again. Great, Linda. Thank you. Appreciate the time. All right.